Please turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. We'll begin reading from verse 23. We'll read together verses 23 of chapter 2 through the first part of chapter 3. There to the end of verse 6. Read this section together and then focus primarily on chapter 2. Now it happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? But he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry, he and those with him? How he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for those priests, except for the priests, and also gave some to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. And he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, Being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Let's pray briefly together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that it comes to us by the authority and inspiration of your Holy Spirit. Grant us by the same, by your Spirit, ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to receive and understand your word today. Lord, bless the preaching of it and the hearing of it, that Christ may be glorified and Christ may be obeyed. We pray in his name. Amen. Children, I want to tell you a brief story. A brief story about a young man who once received a new truck. A brand new truck. The young man loved this truck. Washed it almost every week. Probably changed the oil on it too frequently. Would even scrub the little white letters on the tires so it would match the white paint job. He wanted to keep this truck so impeccably clean and the mileage as low as possible. So much so that this young man really stopped using the truck for its intended purpose. Whenever he could, he would try to find a ride with someone else. Whenever he could, he would stick to the paved roads and not take this off-road truck off-road. 
pretty early on in the young man owning this truck, the truck didn't exist to meet the needs of the driver, but the driver began to exist to meet the needs of the truck, or at least the perceived needs of it. It needed to look pristine, and it needed to keep its mileage low. Well, as this young man demonstrates, people can often be prone to inverting relationships, thinking that they exist for something when really that something exists for them. This was certainly and wrongly the case in the passage that we just read concerning the Sabbath. So let's look at the Sabbath as it comes to us in the end of chapter 2 of Mark's Gospel and see some things there as well from the beginning of chapter 3 to see why the Sabbath exists according to Jesus. Well, verse 23 sets the scene for us. That we have on one Sabbath day Jesus and his disciples plucking heads of grain as they are on their way. We don't know exactly to where they are headed. Perhaps it's to another synagogue for another time to be with God's people and under God's word. We're not quite sure. But nevertheless, the picture here is clear that Jesus is with his disciples on the Sabbath day and his disciples are plucking Heads of grain in the field as they walk. Which prompts the question that comes to Jesus there in verse 24. Look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? The Pharisees are asking Jesus about this very action of his disciples. This action of plucking grain. And really, since they bring in the Sabbath, the question of lawfulness is a right question. Because the Sabbath is an integral part of the very law of God. In fact, if you know your Ten Commandments well, you know that the Sabbath is the fourth commandment. And what we know as the moral law of God. That law which was written by God's own finger, engraved on stones to show the permanence and the perpetuity of those very laws. And so it's a good question. This question of lawfulness. In fact, Let me read for you what the actual law of the Sabbath is. and It will help us to wrap our minds around what is being brought into view here. Exodus chapter 20. You can turn there if you'd like. Or if you have the Ten Commandments memorized, you can just read along in your head. Exodus 20 verses 8 through 11. The fourth commandment reads like this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. 
You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now there are three things I want to point out from this fourth commandment that I just read. First thing, it begins with the call to remember. Remember the Sabbath day. We must acknowledge at this point that this call to remember reveals to us that the Sabbath commandment didn't merely begin as a law there in Exodus chapter 20. In fact, if we were reading through Exodus chapter by chapter, which we are doing, and the next chapter we're going to get to in our Old Testament reading is Exodus chapter 16. And in Exodus chapter 16, we're going to see that the people of God, even there, are supposed to observe the Sabbath. Even collect a double portion of manna on the day before the Sabbath so that on the Sabbath day they wouldn't have to collect any. In fact, the Lord said there would be none to collect on the Sabbath day. And so this call to remember there in Exodus 20 is a call to remember that the Sabbath has always been a law from the very beginning. It's not a new law, but one that has always been since the very beginning of creation. That it was a creation ordinance for all mankind to follow as image bearers of God. People made in the likeness of God. And that likeness then to be manifested in the fact that in six days God created, and on the seventh day he rested and blessed The Sabbath day. So when God created image bearers, he created them as those who would also likewise work six days of the week and then rest on the seventh. But the call to remember is also because out of all the commands, it is probably the most frequently forgotten. Thomas Watson says this word, remember, shows that we are apt to forget Sabbath holiness. Therefore, we need a memorandum to put us in mind of sanctifying this day. In fact, it's the only of the Ten Commandments that begins this way, to remember the Sabbath. Giving us that extra pressure, you could say, or the the exclamation point To this commandment that we do well to remember it because we are so prone to forget it. And it's important for us to understand here in our text in Mark's gospel that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are in agreement with this assessment of the importance of remembering the Sabbath. And that's even the case in the New Testament. In fact, We do well to note that as we just read, 
these two occurrences that happened concerning the Sabbath and Jesus taking the opportunity to teach on the fundamental nature of the Sabbath here at the end of Mark 2 and the beginning of Mark 3, that these same two incidents are recorded for us in the Gospel of Matthew and in the Gospel of Luke as well. In other words, six times, if you can do the math, two times three, six times Jesus' teaching on the Sabbath is recorded for us. Perhaps Jesus is saying, remember the Sabbath. And it's interesting when you contrast the fourth commandment with Jesus' teaching on other commandments. Let's say the sixth commandment about murder, the, the seventh commandment about adultery. When you look at Jesus' teaching on these two commandments and look at something like the Sermon on the Mount, you realize that it only occurs in one gospel. Mentioned one time by Jesus in one gospel. We get something of a six to one ratio of Jesus teaching on the Sabbath and the Gospels. As he teaches on other commands like the sixth and the seventh. I say all of this because when you hear claims like Jesus never affirmed the fourth commandment, so we only have nine commandments in the new covenant. The people who say those kinds of things just don't know how to count. Or they do know how to count and they are selectively discounting the fourth commandment. Or forgetting that it still counts. Well, we do well to remember how this commandment begins. It begins with the word remember Because we are so prone to forget it. We're so prone to forget it, even as Christians today, who want to affirm the Ten Commandments and the moral law of God. We're so prone to forget it and only functionally live by nine. Well, the second thing I want you to notice from Exodus 20, as we read it just a moment ago, is that God is the lawgiver gives mankind six out of seven days for work. The first six days of the week and then the seventh as a day of rest, of no work, patterned after his own activity in creation. And the only thing I want to point out to you now, and we'll do a second part to this series on the Sabbath, Lord willing, next time we consider uh, the rest of, of this passage, But one thing I want to point out for you right now is that there's a particularity to this day. Not just any one day in seven, but the seventh day corresponding to God's rest after he created. And it's good to note here as we are just getting our bearings right now on the Sabbath, and we're going to pick up with the narrative uh, here in just a moment. But it's good to note here That there's a particularity to this day. Because many today try to affirm some kind of quasi-Sabbath principle. Where it is good to rest one day in seven, but go ahead and, and pick your day. Whatever day is convenient for you. And Sunday is a good idea because Sunday is the day when most churches meet. And so, if you're able to, then make Sunday your day of rest. But as long as you pick one out of the seven. 
Well, that's not what the Sabbath command teaches. It never has and it never will. There's always been a particular day of God's choosing, not man's. And we'll see more fully next time why today, the Sabbath day, is the first day of the seven rather than the last day of the seven as it was from creation. But we must remember that there's always a particularity to the Sabbath day. And the third thing I want you to recognize from the Sabbath commandment, and it gets us back into our text, is this, that there is a comprehensive scope to this command as it is given to superiors. If you're still there in Exodus 20, you can notice the wording of the fourth commandment and how it is given. Or you could say, to whom it is primarily addressed. If you look at it, you quickly realize that the command is addressed to those in positions of authority, those in positions of leadership. You can read it as given to parents, as they're told that your sons and your daughters are to also (coughs) cease from their daily labors and rest. You could read it as given to masters, as even your servants, your male servant and your female servant are to also rest. It's given to humans as they have authority over animals so that even their cattle or their livestock can rest. Simply put, the wording of the commandment as God authored it is addressed to superiors, to masters. Let's relate this then to the text before us in Mark chapter 2. Jesus had been calling his disciples. Jesus has clearly emerged as the master over these disciples. And it's likely then the Pharisees understood the wording of the fourth commandment quite well. As they don't ask Jesus' disciples why you're doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. But they come straight to Jesus. They come straight to the master. And essentially say, why are you not leading your disciples aright? Why are you permitting them to do what is unlawful on the Sabbath day? And here's the point. That if that were the case, if Jesus, as the master of his disciples, was turning a blind eye to their Sabbath breaking... If he was not upholding and enforcing the Sabbath command as it was given by God, Jesus here would be a Sabbath breaker. If Jesus, by his leading or example, was encouraging his disciples to break the Sabbath, There would be no salvation from sin. If Jesus were a Sabbath breaker because as a master was not enforcing the Sabbath for his disciples or teaching them to observe it. If Jesus himself was the stumbling block 
for these little ones. Jesus would be guilty of sin. Some so quickly just gloss this text and say, see, the Sabbath wasn't important to Jesus. That Jesus was even teaching his disciples a disregard for the Sabbath. But you cannot affirm that kind of statement in the next breath talk about Jesus being a Savior. In fact, our very salvation depends upon Christ's perfect law-keeping. That if he broke the Sabbath or taught his disciples to do so, there would no longer be a righteous one to bear the sins of the unrighteous so that he could impute his righteousness to them by faith. It is a severe theological misstep or inconsistency to affirm or embrace any nonsense that Jesus here had disregard for the Sabbath. If Jesus had sinned, there would be no hope of salvation. So what are the Pharisees then bringing up here when they're bringing up this notion of lawfulness? What do they mean by it? Well, they clearly cannot mean the fourth commandment as we just read it and considered it. They cannot mean the fourth commandment as it was commanded by God with its original intent and purpose. And this is clear because In reality, there was no prohibition for what the disciples were doing here on the Sabbath day. Look at their action once again if you need to be refreshed on what they were doing. They were, verse 23 says, plucking the heads of grain. Now the closest prohibition we read in Scripture pertaining to what they were doing could be found in Exodus 34, verse 21. The word of God says, six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. That's the closest verse that comes to what the disciples are doing here on the Sabbath day. But I hope you can appreciate that plowing and harvesting are far different activities Then walking through a grain field, plucking a few heads of grain in order to satisfy one's hunger along the way. Exodus 34, when it speaks of plowing and harvest, speaks of the ordinary work of one who would go out and prepare the land, spend hours, maybe even days, sweating, To plow the field. 
for hours or even days once the crop came in of harvesting that field to store up the barn or to make loads to carry to market. The disciples were not plowing or harvesting. And so why the question then about lawfulness? If they weren't plowing and harvesting to fill the barn or to sell at market, or even going to the market to buy bread, but were simply plucking a snack along the way, why the question about lawfulness here? Well, we have to see here that when the Pharisees are asking Jesus about lawfulness, they are inherently asking about lawfulness to their own interpretation of the Sabbath. They're asking about their own traditions that had accumulated and been written down even at this time period. Traditions that would become practically for them of greater authority than Scripture itself. What kinds of traditions? Well, over the centuries, as the Pharisees did with many God-given laws and what many Jewish rabbis devoted themselves to, was oftentimes called hedging the law, setting up a hedge as an obstacle to keep one from even getting close to violating it. A law. If you're not sure what a hedge is, you sometimes see hedges made out of vegetation around people's homes to keep animals away or to keep things off their property or to even keep maybe things inside their property like a pet or children. But the idea was to create some sort of barrier or barricade to the law so that people wouldn't even come close to violating it. If you were to read some of these traditions in what's called the Talmud, you would find that these traditions became quite numerous when it came to the Sabbath. In fact, you would find 24 chapters in the Talmud on the Sabbath. And in those 24 chapters, you would come across 39 categorical prohibitions of what you could not do on the Sabbath. So that you could keep a safe distance from ever violating it. Well, one of those categorical prohibitions is called winnowing on the Sabbath. And at first glance, at least to the Pharisees, you could see why they would think that Jesus' disciples are doing what is unlawful. The way that the Pharisees understood winnowing was this. That winnowing meant any separation of intermixed materials which renders edible that which was inedible. Or in other words, taking a head of grain and because of its mixed materials of a husk on top of the kernel that you want to eat... Having to separate these two so part of it could become edible while discarding the inedible part. That's likely what the disciples were doing. Taking the heads of grain, crushing them in their hands, blowing away the chaff, 
and enjoying the current. And this principle of winnowing was extended to any food in the Talmud. Although it typically referred to separating chaff from grain, it also referred to things like fish. If you ever heard of a gefilte fish or see one at the store in the kosher food section, it's a ground fish meat with all the bones already removed and then stuffed back in an intact fish skin. That's the idea. That even today, these Talmudic laws are lived by in certain Jewish sects, that you cannot remove bones from a fish on the Sabbath and be considered lawful. And so this principle could have been extended to anything if the disciples had been thirsty on their walk and they had gone to a stream and there was some water that needed to be filtered or strained so they could drink potable water without floaties and chunks. This would have been considered winnowing by the Pharisees. So it's here that we see then the intent of the question. That the Pharisees, according to their own traditions and their own writings, thought that they had finally caught Jesus and his disciples in the scandal of doing something unlawful. Finally, we get to discredit Jesus and this Jesus movement that's gaining such widespread fame. But when Jesus looked at his disciples, he didn't see what the Pharisees thought they saw. He didn't see Sabbath breakers caught in the act of doing what was unlawful. He saw his disciples with a need. Satisfying that need on the Sabbath day. And we see that in the answer that Jesus gives Beginning there in verse 25. Jesus said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry? He and those with him. So in a stroke of brilliance, Jesus fires back his own question. Have you never read? Now, the first move on Jesus' part is to point out an oversight on their part. That the Pharisees had prided themselves in being zealous experts of the law of God. And yet Jesus rebukes them right away. Have you never read? The Pharisees had been so scrupulously trying to see if Jesus and his disciples were living up to the law. And yet they overlooked something important from the scriptures. Have you never read? So Jesus brings to them an event that unfolded in 1 Samuel chapter 21 in the first six verses there. I won't read it for you because Jesus summarizes it well for us here and gives us the parts that we want or he wants us to hone in on. And he summarizes there in verse 26, speaking of David, that he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the showbread. Those 12 loaves of bread that were to be in the tabernacle of God. And then here's the point, which is not lawful to eat, except for the priests. 
And that prohibition came in Leviticus 24 that those 12 loaves of bread, after they had spent a week in the tabernacle, every Sabbath day they were to be exchanged. And when those 12 cold loaves came out of the tabernacle, they were to be eaten by Aaron and his sons. They were to be eaten by the priests alone. But Jesus is saying, don't you remember when King David went with his disciples? And David asked for five of those 12 loaves so that he and his men could have their hunger satisfied. Oh yeah, and it was on a Sabbath, on the day when the bread was being exchanged. And so we see Jesus' answer. He refers to the scriptures. And he lays this case study before them about the anointed king and his disciples. And what's important for us to recognize here when Jesus does this is that the Pharisees would have honored King David. They would have, in fact, even longed for a king like King David to rise up there in Israel and restore the kingdom to the Jews. And David was never condemned for this act of eating these loaves of bread. In fact, 1 Kings 15 gives us a good assessment of King David. That David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and had not turned aside from anything that he commanded. Anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Simply put, God's commentary on the life of David said nothing about doing anything unlawful on the Sabbath. And so Jesus holds before the Pharisees King David and his men. And he says that it was unlawful for David and his men to eat that bread. Unlawful according to what? It was unlawful according to the ceremonial law of God. And so the point seems to be this, that Jesus is teaching the Pharisees that his actions are like the actions of King David. There's no violation of the fourth commandment in view here. But on the Sabbath day, when there is a need to be met, even a ceremonial law seems to have been relaxed, for lack of a better term, for a need to be met on the Sabbath. And David was not condemned for meeting that need of hunger for his men on the Sabbath day. It was a necessity. 
for them to eat and be strengthened. And so Jesus, in a sense, is saying to these Pharisees, if God doesn't condemn David for meeting the need of hunger for his men, even though he's going against a ceremonial law, do you dare condemn the greater King David with his men as he is meeting the need of his disciples? Not even against a ceremonial law, but simply against one of their own. Now, the Pharisees were wrong oftentimes, but they weren't dumb. The Pharisees could sense in that answer that if, if they pressed the issue, if they wanted to condemn Jesus Christ at that point, then they would have to say that their laws and traditions have become even more important and authoritative than the ceremonies of God. And of course, the Pharisees were zeal to uphold the ceremonial laws of God. They had become called the party of the circumcision even. And so they did not press the issue. They kept silent. And Jesus continued then to teach them there in verse 27, as Jesus gives the fundamental nature of the fourth commandment. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. J.C. Ryle perhaps says it best here as he comments on this verse. He says, This is creation language. That God made the Sabbath for Adam in paradise and renewed it to Israel on Mount Sinai. It was made for all mankind, not for the Jew only, but for the whole family of Adam. It was made for human benefit and happiness. It was for the good of their bodies, the good of their minds, and the good of their souls. It was given as a boon and a blessing, and not as a burden. This was the original institution of the Sabbath. And that's what Jesus is correcting here with his opponents as they sought to catch him in this act of unlawfulness or Sabbath breaking. Jesus teaches them that the Sabbath has always been for man and not man for the Sabbath. That the day was to always be a day of blessing to meet the deepest needs of man. And not man for being to be burdened unnecessarily by the day. The Lord willing will continue to unpack the nature of the Sabbath and Christ's relation to it. And we're also going to see as we move into chapter 3 that the Sabbath is not only a day for works of necessity like satisfying hunger, but it's also a day for works of mercy as Jesus will go on to heal the man with the withered hand in the synagogue on a future Sabbath. 
But for now, let us close by thinking back to that young man and his truck, how he had inverted that relationship. The truck was no longer for his benefit and use and pleasure, but rather became a burden that he tried to maintain for the sake of the truck. That's what had happened to the Sabbath when Jesus came to the people of God here in Mark's gospel. And Jesus labored intently to correct this misunderstanding. That a day like today, the Sabbath day, in which we rest from our ordinary works and we come and rest in God's presence. Jesus says this day was made for us. And by that he means this day was made to meet our deepest needs. Yes, we can be assured that we can do works of necessity to feed our bodies. We can do works of necessity to meet our basic needs. Because God is gracious and God wants what is best for mankind. But God has ultimately set apart the Sabbath for our spiritual rest. For us to come before him and to have our deepest need a fellowship with him met. And that's what the Pharisees missed here in all of this, in trying to overanalyze the actions and the situation of Jesus and his disciples. They failed to see that it was not only physical hunger that was being met in the lives of Jesus' disciples that day, but it was them being with him. That wherever Jesus went, And whenever his disciples were with him, that was Sabbath rest. In fact, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus would say, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's what Matthew's gospel records for us right before Matthew's rendition of this very incident. And that is to highlight to us that Jesus Christ is the Sabbath. That he is the one who provides us the rest that we need to satisfy our deepest need. And so as we begin to look at the Sabbath according to Jesus, let us be ever Reminded to keep the Sabbath, to keep it holy. Let us remember to do so week after week. Because in so doing, God meets our deepest need. God performs the greatest good in us and to us that we need. And that is His drawing near to us and sanctifying us to make us more like his son. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the Sabbath day. We thank you for the blessing of it. We thank you that on it we can, like Jesus' disciples, be with him as he is with us by his Spirit. We thank you that we can be assured that Our basic needs can be met on a day like today. 
then we can be assured that our greatest need is met on a day like today. And so, Lord, thank you for being gracious. Thank you for being a God who commands things that are for our good and not for our harm. Lord, we pray that each Lord's Day, every Christian Sabbath that we gather, Lord, we pray that you would grant us the rest that each of our souls need. That you would grant us to find rest in Jesus Christ. To rest from our labors and trying to obtain a righteousness of our own. Lord, help us today to find rest in the Lord Jesus Christ in his perfect righteousness. Help us to find rest in our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.